0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. She is one of the greatest living women's basketball players. Three national titles, scored the first basket in Olympic history, drafted into the NBA. But you probably never heard of Lucia May Harris or Lucy Harris, a remarkable player, a remarkable human being. And one of the great things about being able to do film school radio is I get to talk to people about Things I had no idea ever happened, and this is one of them. The film is called The Queen of Basketball. We're joined today again, once again, joining us, the director, Ben Proudfoot. Ben, welcome back to Film School Radio.
1: Thanks so much, Mike. Pleasure.
0: How did Lucy come into your life?
1: (laughs) Well, Lucy came into my life through uh, my colleague, uh, Haley Watson. I've just been fascinated by people who you know, if history had gone a little differently, they may well have been household names. And so as I've been making these films, we've been releasing them with the New York Times under this anthology, almost famous uh, moniker. And so I'm always kind of on the lookout for people like this who are hugely significant and important, but for whatever reason, um, we don't remember collectively as a society as much as we could or should. And so Haley told me about Lucy. She's a cinematographer and director and said, you should check out this, this woman's story, it's amazing. And basically it was just one of those and any artist or documentary filmmaker kind of knows that feeling when you just start reading the first few dribs and drabs of information and your instinct says, oh my gosh, right? And, and of course for me, my first instinct is, this is, uh, this is awesome, I'm gonna go on YouTube and watch The documentary that's already been made about her because clearly you know this is going to be a story that's been covered and covered and covered and there was a little bit here and there uh but not very much at all and most of it was speculative and very few appearances by her personally and there was a lot of speculation of why when she was drafted to the nba she didn't go there was speculation about that she had you know because it was because she was starting a family she was pregnant different ideas about why there was sort of a, a air of mystery about her and, and the story and, and really a lack of of gameplay footage, a lack of, there were some photographs, but not a lot. And so I set about um, tracking her down and eventually uh, got in touch with her, explained, you know, who I was and that I was interested in coming out and meeting with her and interviewing her. And she said, sure, come on out. And so not long after that, my cinematographer and I piled into a van and, Headed east. So she Greenwood, Mississippi.
0: Oh, there you go. She currently lives in Green Greenwood, Mississippi. So that was quite a haul to get out there. See her. Yeah,
1: did it in two days.
0: She is, and I. One thing about Ben Proudfoot that I do want to mention I failed to do in our introduction. Ben, in this last go around for the Oscars, was at a nominated short doc film called "Concerto." Is a conversation, co-directed, co-produced with uh, Chris Bowers. Uh, and congratulations on, on the nomination and and all, all your work. I mean, you should check this out. Ben uh, is behind Breakwater Studios, and you should check that out too, because there's a, a whole lot of wonderful films that uh, that Ben's been a part of. So you arrive in Greenwood, uh, Mississippi. She seems very affable, very agreeable. Was yes. there any kind of barriers to overcome in terms of gaining her confidence? How did this sort of unfold once you got there?
1: I think she was probably nervous. I mean, who are these Canadian, you know, guy coming out of the woodwork? Um, But, you know, it was it was in July during COVID. I think everybody's attention was really surrounding that and how to film this safely. So we had developed um, a system pretty early on in COVID to be able to conduct interviews without, with basically without interacting with the other person in the same space. So we built these giant visqueen barriers and the way that I interview people, they see a reflection of my face anyway. So I never actually had to um, interview her eye to eye. It was always through our interrotron. So I remember there was lots of thinking about how to do that properly and how to make sure that she was safe and if if we happened to get exposed anywhere along the way how we could make sure that we never were really in contact with her. So we did that. And all I remember is sitting down and having my notes and having my research and just starting ta- started talking to her and you know Lucy is a great storyteller and has an incredible memory. Like that was one of the things that really blessed this whole production was Lucy's memory. I mean, these are things that happened, you know, close to 50 years ago. And she's recalling the scores of different games and who passed her the ball at different moments. And I I mean, I I don't know about you, but I, I don't think I would have the same level of recollection five years ago, let alone 50. And so her memory and her, her just, total recall of her whole career, just such vivid detail yeah. um, made made the interview process an amazing uh, experience to be to be on the other side of it. But it was perfect for making a film. She was such a great natural storyteller.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go back for a moment to the kind of the story, the broad outlines of the story of her. And she came from a very poor background. Her parents were sharecroppers, which for the... People who aren't familiar with that term—that is essentially a carryover from slavery. Sharecropping in most of the South certainly was kind of slavery 2.0. You worked, you worked mm. the land. You didn't make much money. You made enough to get by, and that's that was your family's history, as if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, and and for sort of additional context, it was within you know a few months of Lucy's birth and literally a few miles from where she was born, where Emmett Till was brutally murdered in 1955 in Money, Mississippi, which is not far away from Minter City where, where Lucy was born. So that's that's you know the context of where this, this child was born.
0: And uh, one of 11, one of 11 children, right? Hostile environment, yeah, big family. Huge family. Well, I don't want to give too much away. I want people to watch this, but needless to say, she was interested in basketball. And tell us a little bit about she had an opportunity to go to a college, a nearby college. I think that's a great part of the story and how how history could have been different, right? Yeah,
1: totally. So, you know, she her family happened to have a a goal, as as she would say, a a basketball net with a sort of wooden backboard. And she played and she was tall, naturally tall, six three. You know, in high school, it was just clear that she was dominant. I mean, she was tall, she had talent. She she developed a shot, as she said, which meant that basically, if she shot the ball, it went in. During the early '70s, Title IX was passed, which basically withheld federal funding to any college or university that didn't equally fund men's and and women's athletic programs. What that gave rise to was a a huge swell in investment and not everywhere, but in many cases in in women's teams and thus Delta State University, among probably hundreds, if not thousands of others of other universities, started a women's basketball team.
0: It's a very small school, right? Isn't it not just a tiny? Yeah,
1: it's I mean, in comparison to lots of other schools, it's it's very small. And it's, you know, here we are in the Mississippi Delta Lucy was the only black player on her team. This is within the first few years of the team existing at all. I talked to a bunch of her teammates and a lot of them were like recruited out of there. Somebody told me she like worked at the gas station and the assistant coach comes into the gas station and recruits her based on how tall she was and how he had heard that she played basketball. You know, like it was, you know, it's a movie waiting to happen. You know, you could just imagine this thing of like, we're going to have a women's basketball team and. Who from the local high school system can populate our team? And Lucy was one of them. And very quickly, you know, she it became clear that she was sort of the star player of the team. And this sort of magical alchemy of that Delta State team with Lucy and a few other players that played together for a number of years became the best college women's basketball team in the nation for several years running.
0: It's just I mean, this you're right. This is a movie waiting to be made. Yes, I mean the story is. That's not to take anything away from the Queen of Basketball. <laughs> by the way, if people are interested in watching this, it is available on the New York Times site for. Uh, for it's on YouTube. You can look on- it up
1: on YouTube. Yeah, for free.
0: Yeah. So again, her personality, everything about her, and the travail she goes through, we learn about in her personal life, and uh, and how she's appear appears to have reconciled. All of the things that could have happened that didn't in a way that is just even more endearing. She's just a remarkable human being. She Um, is. She really, truly is. And that I will just leave the, uh, I I won't describe it, but that last scene in the film, the last shot that you have in the film, I think in so many ways is emblematic of her as a person and where her priorities are and how she lived her life. I I thought it was a beautiful way to end the film. Thank you. Well, you premiered at Tribeca. We did. Congratulations. And and the reception from that has been?
1: Oh, well, Tribeca was so special because Lucy came to New York along with her family for the screening. It was kind of like the first festival that I've been to since COVID began. And it was outside and the film played and Lucy was watching it for the first time there. And when the film ended, the audience that was there Jumped on their feet and gave her a standing ovation, which was very special and emotional. And you know, it's just amazing to be in New York City with Lucy. I mean, you know, she's there driving by, you know, Madison Square Gardens, and say, "Oh, I, I played there, right?" And we were like, "Oh, really?" And she's like, "Yep, I scored forty-seven points." <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> um, so it was so special to be there with her, and she gave me a big hug and you know, for me as a filmmaker, when people are sort of entrusting you with their with their story and, you know, it's it's a big job to try to tell it in a concise way that's within the spirit of of how they told you. That's really all I care about is that Lucy watches it and says, yes, that's that's what I that's how I saw it. Um, so to me, that was very meaningful and, and satisfying and a beautiful sort of full circle moment.
0: Yeah. And it's easy to see why she was so happy with it. And it's Again, it's a joyous film, and it really emanates from her, from her and her story. That's right. And the fact that she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, escorted by her idols, is another kind of magical moment.
1: Well, actually, she was. It wasn't the Women's Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Fame, the, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and she was again. You know, the same way she was the first to score a basket in in women's basketball in the Olympics, she and Neera White were the first female inductees to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And that's, that's one thing I found crazy. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I find it crazy as knowing very little about basketball and, and sports in general, being a movie nerd is just like. Wait a second. So men's basketball was an Olympic sport and women's basketball wasn't until 1976 and not until 1992 were any female athletes inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like I just like this is after, you know, when 92 and she was inducted. I mean, that's after I was born. Right. So it's just like it's just amazing the long tail of misogyny in that in that neck of the woods. I was just kept on being floored and continue to be floored. In particular, as at the at the pay disparity between uh, women athletes and male athletes on a professional level, um, I couldn't believe it. It's hard to wrap my head around. I I really kind of had no idea. I just didn't know anything about it.
0: Well, and yeah, and it's films like these, and in their own ways, push forward this narrative that you're you're describing. Like, how is this? How did this happen? And why are these? Why why do we continue? To, to actively pursue these goals of equality for everyone yeah, in the rest of
1: the 100%. I mean, you look at Lucy, who yeah. is very clearly the most talented, most successful, mo- the, the highest and best, right? Coming out of the Olympics, three national championships, drafted to the NBA, and that's it. Go yeah. find a job. And then all these other players—they're millionaires. They're American legends. They're living in Beverly Hills. The is is disgusting, really. It is
0: disgusting. I mentioned this to you before the interview started. I'm a huge basketball fan, and I told you I had never heard of it. The other part of it is I was under the impression that Ann Myers was the first inducted into the Hall Basketball Hall of Fame. I had no mm. idea, you know, I—that was how it came to me. I, I don't. Maybe I—I I just misheard it. But was my assumption, it was Ann Myers. And she was on the Olympic team with Lucy. She was.
1: And she passed Lucy the ball.
0: So she had the first assist, and Lucy had the first basket. Right.
1: And so. actually, Lucy scored the second basket, too.
0: Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yes. Well, I imagine she scored a lot of baskets, given given her level of talent. They, the U.S. team ended up the silver medalist that year. In many ways, Lucy is one of the most impactful women's basketball players And then I I guess basketball players in general, men or women, because of the of the way that she transformed a small university into a national champion powerhouse. We talked about Bill Russell at San Francisco State winning a national championship. Certain players have transformed their sport by virtue of where they came from. Any of those stories are valid. This one is at least that and more a small I mean, a really small school in relation to the rest of the country. Yeah. Some, yeah. Well, I what? Thank, thank you. Congratulations on this.
1: Thank you, Mike, for helping bring the story to a wider audience and helping helping me and and our team tell Lucy's story as broadly as possible.
0: Oh, if people want to find out more about you, they can go to BreakwaterStudios.com and all the different films that you worked on, as well as your Academy Award-nominated *Concerto Is a Conversation*. Chris Bowers has got a project right now that he's working on—a high-profile film. Quite a
1: few, yeah. Space Jam. Everybody should go see Space Jam. That and was... listen to Chris's amazing score there, and uh, he's working on King Richard. He's got all kinds of stuff coming coming down the pike. He's uh, he's amazingly uh, prolific.
0: Well, well, thank you so much for your time today, Ben Proudfoot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike.